Hey, welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 192 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. If Oprah is making speeches and Casey is RSVPing no, then it must be award season and the time of year where the film industry honors its own and hands out trophies they sometimes wish they could take back in as little as a few years. I kid, of course, the Oscars are upon us, and for better or for worse, there are few institutions that create as clear a yearbook than the honors handed out by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science now in their 90th year. Here at the Matinee Cast, our film literacy club photo in said yearbook is taken every year around this time when an academic club of two get together to have ourselves rendered for posterity. There's me, your humble narrator, and as always, I am joined by a woman of great taste, insight, and intelligence, whose opinions on film, feminism, and bourbon I hold in great (laughs) renown. We are across the wire to Atlanta, Georgia, where the brains behind Cinema Fanatic and the YouTube personality on Coffee and Movies, our friend Mariah E. Gates is here. How are you, Mariah? I'm good. I wish the weather would pick if it wants to be cold or sunny. <laughs> Welcome to the East Coast, man. Uh, I, I don't like it. <laughs> every year you miss California more and more. I'm actually going back to California on uh, next week. Wow. And I'm like, not like moving back. I was going to say. I was like, I'm visiting. I'm visiting. <laughs> you, I was going to say, have you told your employers? Yeah. Uh, one little difference uh, that you'll hear in today's episode, as you might have already noticed, the bed music isn't quite what it usually is. We'll be playing samples of the five instrumental works nominated for Best Original Score. So instead of hearing Franz Ferdinand and uh, The Roots, you'll be hearing tunes by John Williams, Alexandre Desplat, and Johnny Greenwood. I'm so excited Johnny Greenwood finally got an Oscar nomination. But on episode 192, we will be discussing the 90th annual Oscar nominees, but we need to begin by learning more about about Mariah, this is Know Your Enemy. Mariah first joined us on our 2011 Oscar episode where we talked on episode 27.5, back when I was doing .5s. We learned the first film she'd ever seen in the theater was Willow. The last film she'd seen at the time was Sleuth. The worst film she'd ever seen was something called Undiscovered. The classic or essential that she had not yet seen was Apocalypse Now. She's seen it since then. She loves it. Uh, The film that she wished she made was The Thin Red Line. Next, on episode 51, we talked about Oscars in 2012. We learned the film she likes that nobody else does is center stage the film everybody else likes that she does not is Babel. the last film to make her cry was now voyager uh in the movie of her life she'd be played by liz taylor and the film she was watching next was the 1949 great gatsby on episode 76 where we talked about the oscars in 2013 we learned the film to make her love a film turn a corner was again the thin red line the first date movie was catch me if you can her sick day movie was little women which i finally saw last year oh my god 
Oh, oh my god um the film to leave her speechless was a moor and her epitaph would be good times noodle salad from as good as it gets <laughs> then on episode 104 where we talked about the oscar nominees in 2014 the film she loved but never wanted to see again was a moor the film that left her freaked out was Eraserhead, the film that always makes her laugh is Monty Python and the Quest for the Holy Grail. The soundtrack that she loves the most is Adventureland, and the movie she loves that seemingly nobody else has heard of is something called Valet Girls. Valet, V-A-L-E-T. Finally, three years ago on episode 129, we talked about the Oscar nominees for 2015. We learned that when she goes to the movie, she likes to sit middle-middle, middle row, middle of the aisle. The movie character she would most like to go on a date with is Gabriel Byrne as Professor Bear in Little Women. The two films that she chose as the dirtiest she'd ever seen were Being John Malkovich when she watched it as a youngin and parents were about and more recently Blue is the Warmest Color. Her favorite black and white film is Night of the Hunter which I'm seeing a screening of next week. I'm really stoked. And the film nobody would expect her to love is Lethal Weapon 4. All right, time for round six. Mariah E. Gates, either at home or in the theater, what is your movie snack of choice? So I don't eat snacks at home. That sounds horrible. Because I, I don't, I'm, a, I'm a snack person. I eat meals. Oh, but I've eaten many a meal while watching a movie. <laughs> Often it's Indian food. I, li- I like Indian food. But it, at um, the theater, I always get popcorn. And I've loved popcorn my whole life. I even worked in a movie theater, and they were like, oh, you'll get tired of the popcorn. And I'm like, tired of free popcorn? I don't think so. And I ate a lot of free popcorn when I was in grad school because I was poor, and it was free. And, but also it was delicious, especially when I made it. So, you know, and then I, I still buy popcorn I, almost every time I go to the theaters. I love it. I mean, it's, it's funny because I actually can remember sometimes when – my parents were having like such a busy night and they, they, you know, we had like maybe 15 minutes to try and scarf down a meal and popcorn would be dinner. I can remember that. And I don't say that to like shame my parents or anything like that. Cause we didn't care. Um, but no, there's, there's nothing wrong with popcorn now. I like, I mean, do I got, I got to ask, do you, do you, do you go with the butter? Do you go with like one of the seasonings? Do you just, take I don't, like, I don't like butter. It gets too gooey. Yeah, it gets too. You know, I don't need a napkin. I don't want to have to deal with a napkin. Um, I sometimes I like those like flavor. The I think it's the flavor the, shakers. Yeah, the white cheddar one is oh, awful, good. and I love it. But my actual favorite way to eat popcorn, and um, Castro Theater does it, where they put nutritional yeast on it. Excuse me. What? Yes. No, no you're making so no. Good. Come on, you're making this up. So good. It's San Francisco. Can't make that up. It's so good, and I haven't had it in like five years. And um, if they, they better still do it because oh, I'm gonna eat so okay. much popcorn with nutritional yeast on it. See, the funny thing was, I was gonna. The next thing I was gonna ask you is if you tried doing the thing like throwing in the uh, the raisinets or the M and M's or oh, something yeah. like that. Oh no, yeah, raisinets. No, but nutritional yeast. You're all over that. But I also put raisinets sometimes in my popcorn. It's a oh. good mixture. Like this is all just we're just no this is just clean out the fridge popcorn is what it is. Okay, what is a movie world that you would like to spend a day in? Pina. Oh my god, that's such a good answer. Yes. So I, I just want to live in a like, world where there's people dancing on the bus and there's people dancing on the side of the street and people dance on veal like 
I just want to dance all the time. Oh man, I you know what I it's it's funny because I haven't really thought about that movie since since I saw it, but it's such a beautiful little movie. It's I remember it was one of my favorite uh, films in 3D ever. Um, I saw it in 3D four times. Oh my god! Yes. Uh, well, and then we're, we we want to live in a 3D world where people I dance all the time. I just want to live in that movie, like pretty dresses, people dancing, like it's everything I want. I like this. And idea. like some weird surrealism every once in a while, you know, a little yeah, everything. Like, you know, I just I want to live in a world that's all completely helmed by Vim vendors, really. You know, well, like, there's I, that. That that, <laughs> yeah. that that sounds wonderful to me. I was I was watching uh, Wings of Desire the other day. I was like, this world seems lovely. Yes, I think he has a good sense of what the world should be. Yeah, because there there would always be music if in yes. the world. In the yes, world and always really like rock and roll. Yeah, no, I'm loving this. Okay, yeah. great, very, very unexpected answer, but I love that. Good work. Um, what is your favorite good scene in a bad movie? I don't have an answer for this. <laughs> because I've been thinking about it for a few hours. I don't believe in bad movies so then every scene i was coming up with i was like well i don't actually think this is a bad movie so then but can you think of one where you didn't really like the movie but it's still like i mean because we're gonna talk about a movie several times over in this hour that i know you didn't like i'll I'll throw a slight bone i don't actually think this is a bad movie but i know that roger ebert didn't like it that is the uh, '90s version of Wild Wild West. That's I love that movie. Old. Really? Oh, I okay, do. Okay, and okay, so okay. this was one of the answers I was thinking of. But then I don't think that's a bad movie. So okay, so um, what's, there what's you go. The scene? What's but the scene? I, I, it's not a scene so much as every time um, Kevin Klein goes Avante and then goes somewhere. <laughs> I do that all the time. Oh my god! Because of that movie. I'm so. pretty sure you're the only person who likes that movie. I love that movie. I loved that soundtrack. I think about it a lot. It's one of the few times I've actually liked Kenneth Branagh in a movie. Okay. Yeah. This is. I'm pretty sure this is the first time in almost 20 years I'm thinking about Wild Wild West. Um, so I, I will find a clip of Avante and put it in there. I, um, I say Avante out of context a lot the only thing i can remember from that movie in terms of scenes is the scene where um kevin klein and will smith are discussing the perfect fake breast fake breast yeah that's a good scene yeah yeah you know that's okay <laughs> all right wild wild last there's, there's, um, there's good moments in that movie <laughs> you know I, I i say this like i i, I mumble and i'm and i and i say it's like this i i really have not seen it in almost 20 years so i can't I used to have a uh, widescreen vhs tape Ooh, you are you are hardcore <laughs> um what is one of the most violent movies you've ever seen um so i was thinking i wanted to talk about a movie i saw last year that was like shockingly violent but really wonderful Okay. And that was uh, Julia Ducournau's Raw. Okay. Tell people about that movie. Oh, my God. So it's about this young girl who's vegetarian, and she goes to veterinary school, and they make her eat, like, a pickled liver or something. And then she turns into a cannibal and starts, like, eating people and eating flesh. And it's disgusting. And um, they actually, when they released it, they, like, gave out barf bags sort of in that um, – um, William Castle sort of to make you want to think you're going to need to barf they gave right. you the bag to hype 
but like I did almost want to barf and I had to divert my eyes a few times. So, um, and it's on yes, Netflix now. Yes. Actually, that's, that's it that's, is yes. Yeah. Um, but so was it like it was the cannibalism? It was kind of the visceral nature of yeah, it that you really yeah. just. I mean, there's slight spoilers, but like there's a part where like a a foot gets or a toe gets eaten off that was just disgusting, and like there was that you know there's a moment where they're um she's trying to do trying to wax herself I think and. It's really gross. Um, so I don't know if it counts as violent or or just gross, but like it's pain. So I would I filed it under violence. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of those things with. I I don't know if you're like me, but when it comes to horror, I I, I really in my in my new appreciation of horror, I like it when my mind is messed with, and I like it when I'm feeling afraid. I don't like to actually be grossed out, like when I'm seeing. Uh, um, like torture and and like actual like bloody injury, I don't actually like seeing that. So that's usually when I start saying no, 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 this is too violent for me. Is when I see that kind of thing, and mm-hmm. I, I I imagine I'm probably going to be in for that with Raw when I finally do check it out because I do want to see the, it. The one thing I will say about it is it's not violent for violence' sake. It's kind of a metaphor for um, the violence. Of being thrown into adult life. Well, great, um, but, uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it was one of the best, I think, depictions of like how terrifying it is to be on your own in college for the first time. Oh, okay. Well, that's, but then well, they I make mean, it like truly terrifying. Again, um, so what what you're saying is it, it's it's really unpleasant, but at the very least, it serves a purpose. Yes. Okay. Oh well, yeah. Yes. You know, like I listen. I'd rather sit down and watch this and watch Hostel. So I'll I'll happily take that. Yeah. Uh, torture porn. It's just a lot. Just intense. Okay. <laughs> um, finally, for now, what is a movie monologue that you would love to deliver? So when I was a kid, I used to have to walk home through a big empty field. Um, and I would, <laughs> I can't do it anymore. I don't have it memorized, but I used to have the, um, as God is my witness from gone with the wind memorized and I would like <laughs> walk home and like recite it, um, through the field. So, okay. That. <laughs> um, that's, that's a short monologue, isn't it? Yeah. It's like a paragraph maybe okay oh no it's it's you know what it, it's longer than i remember i'm only remembering the line i actually don't remember the yeah line. yeah there's more she says more and then it, and then she gets and then, to and that's my witness that. right okay okay and then it's the music swells and right i've yeah. um it's been a long but partially by choice it's been a long time since i've seen gone with the wind um i'm i'm really with every passing year i'm having more and more trouble reconciling that movie artistically it's it's incredible um you know just years ahead of its time but just the more time that goes on i just get more and more squeamish about the overall story so it's like i'm like i'm just gonna chalk it up that i've seen it keep what i keep and kind of move forward um, yes, and, and but you should also read the book. Maybe I mean, but it's it's the, it's the story. <laughs> that I, okay, first of all, listen. First it, of all, it adds layers to Scarlet's character. That's all I'm gonna say. I'm sure it does, and, and you know, consider that I read a lot. But that is one long ass book. I read it in four days. No, you did not. Yes, I did, and 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 I know many a girl who did the same thing when they were like fourteen. It's one of those you just can't put it down. It's so well written, you cannot put it down. Nothing else. 
Pretty much. Like, you'll, like, try to do other things because it's, like, you can't stop life, but you'll just, like, have the book in one eye and, you know, the dishes in the other hand. And I'll, I'll give it 100 pages, okay? If it's not okay. grabbing me early on, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to commit myself to 1,400 pages, but I'll, I'll give it a go. Okay. All right. Um, that's Mariah until I think up another round of questions next year. I, the clock is already ticking. <laughs> um, but uh, come on back after this break. We're going to get into the Oscar nominees right after this. So if you're new to all of this, uh, we are going to go through uh, the top eight categories, that being writing, acting, directing, and picture, and kind of pick apart some of these nominees, talk about um, the various films. Uh, there are, there are, there's a lot of carryover from category to category. Um, where these categories are concerned, Mariah, are, how many of these films have you not seen? Oh, I forgot to count. Well, I know I haven't seen four of the best picture nominees really? wow see. that's a lot no well they were like purposefully not watched oh, okay this okay so we'll, oh, we'll, oh, so we'll probably come we'll probably come across why um in, in due time i i looks like six okay seven oh no wow. eight shit oh. sorry excuse me <laughs> i adapted screenplay so seven oh wow yes uh, okay so I'll, I'll, be, I'll be doing a lot of lifting on this episode that's quite <laughs> all right um i am actually where these categories are concerned i am short Two. I'm. Sh- I have not yet seen um, the Denzel movie, but I know you have. Okay, so I got I think- that. I got that. <laughs> there we go. And I haven't seen All the Money in the World. Yeah, that one disappeared, but it's back in theaters here in Atlanta, so I'll probably finally see that one. Okay, so we won't have too much to say about Mr. Plummer. So beginning with adapted screenplay, we have Call Me by Your Name by James Ivory, The Disaster Artist by Scott. Newtstatter and Michael H. Weber, Logan by Scott Frank, James Mangold, and Michael Green, three screenwriters, Molly's Game by Aaron Sorkin, and Mudbound by Virgil Williams. Um, let's start with Mudbound, because that was, uh, of everything that's, that got a lot of attention on Tuesday morning, that was actually the one I think I was happiest about. Yeah, in terms of it actually getting some nominations, that was it was nice to see. Um, and it's nice to see DeRees finally get some some Oscar love, even though it's in the writing rather than directing category. She's all of her films have been so strong and she has written and directed or co-written and directed all three of her films. So it, it's an interesting, like it, it's, it's interesting to see her take on somebody else's content because her other movies have seemed um, so personal. I'm, I'm hoping if nothing else, like the, the one cool thing about Oscar season is that it raises the profile of a lot of these artists. So even though they're kind of working around the arty indie circuit um, and that's what they get nominated for, you'll find them doing more and more prestige work as time goes on. Um, so so there, there's parts of Mudbound that are personal for Deeries that she oh, added. Um, like the, the character, the sister character who says she wants to be a stenographer. Um, that was based on Deeries' grandmother. Okay. So there's, you know, that wasn't in the original text and she added that layer. That is very cool. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know about you. Did you see Molly's game? 
I did not. Okay, Aaron Sorkin is doing his Aaron Sorkin thing and, uh, you know, basically adapting Molly Bloom's book. Um, Aaron Sorkin, this is his first time directing, and I actually really thought that his whole approach to this movie could have used um some tutelage uh he he's given a lot of rope and don't get me wrong like there is nobody who can write a monologue like aaron sorkin his his speeches have his speeches give me goosebumps and you know if i ever had to answer a question of a monologue i'd want to deliver there's a lot of aaron sorkin ones but this movie begins with a four or five minute monologue that basically gets down to the point of losing sucks. You know, it's a, it's a very long winded and detailed way to say losing sucks. So I'm, I, you know, Aaron Sorkin, congratulations, but uh, this is not the movie that I really want to see him get any kind of love for. Um, Logan with the uh, Frank Mangold and green trio. Logan is holds the mark as the first uh, comic book film to get a writing nomination. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I'm glad that it went for um, or went to a screenwriter who really. I mean, I haven't seen the last two uh, Wolverine films, but I think James Mangold really wanted to create something different from the X Men template. So, um, and I heard a lot of people love Logan. I just missed it when it was in theaters, and um, and then I hadn't seen the Wolverine, and I felt like I needed to see both because even though everyone said I didn't need to, I felt like I needed to see both. And now I just I'm going to do a double feature at some point and get caught up. The cool thing I like about it, and the reason actually why I like that it was um, honored as a as a screenplay is it's a it's a comic book movie that just tells a singular story. It's not really worried about world building or setting up sequels or you know building off of prequels. It's just here's one single story. You know who all these people are, and we're just going to drop them into a crazy little adventure, and it it's able to to do what the best comic books do, and that's tell a story that has a beginning, middle, and end, which in all of this universe building that most of these properties adhere to um is getting left aside so you know uh i i like logan a lot i i wasn't really thinking about it come oscar time so i'm happy to see it here uh you know this is the only time mercifully that we have to talk about the disaster artist um i did see this movie yeah that's good i i i i mean i said at the time if you're going to tell this story, this is probably the best anybody could tell this story. I just didn't feel like the story needed to be told. I certainly yeah, didn't feel like the story I kind of to agree. Be yeah. Um, so I, I liked, um, this is the only time we're going to talk about disaster artists. I really liked, um, um, what's the little Franco? Oh my God. Dave Franco. Yeah. Dave Franco was great. Dave Franco was so good in this. Yeah. And he was like, why is no one talking about how he's so good in this? Um, but I've actually always found Dave Franco more, um, palatable as a as a performer. I don't necessarily know that he's like a better performer, but I, I think he gets in his way less. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with it. Sense. So yeah, the disaster artist is here and nowhere else. And then we have Call Me by Your Name, which I know you're not a fan of. However, um, the one cool thing about it being nominated here is that we've got James Ivory nominated. Um, he is the oldest nominee this year. Is he the oldest nominee? Second ever? oldest. No, he's second oldest. He is eight days younger than Agnes Varda. Oh, wow. Oh, that's right. Eight days. Heck yes. Eight days. <laughs> they should be each other's date. They um. should. I do, I do have like a love hate relationship with James Ivory. 
um, because some of his films I absolutely love and some of them I really can't stand. And unfortunately, Call Me By Your Name was all of the aspects of his filmmaking that I don't like. Um, but I'm going to pretend that this nomination was posthumously for Maurice because my actual favorite movie of 2017 was the 30th anniversary re-release of 1987's Maurice. Okay, let's so, go for that. I'll just uh, pretend it's for Maurice and everything's I mean, fine. It's kind of crazy because, you know, uh, love this movie or hate it, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that this was adapted by 90-something-year-old James Ivory. This is not exactly the kind of story that I expect a nonagenarian to be telling. But it, it fits in really well with his um, oeuvre. And he, 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 you know, he's a very, um, I mean, he's, he's a gay, gay filmmaker, and a lot of his films are either explicitly gay or um, have, you know, sub explicitly gay <laughs> tones <laughs> yeah. of it. Um, so, you know, I think this is probably, especially because it was based in the 80s, this is probably a story that he wished he could have told 30 years ago. That's good. Um, but, you know, Hollywood was just slowly making, like, true gay stories by then. Yeah. And, you know, you had My Beautiful Laundrette, and that was about as explicit as you're going to get in this mm. sort of oeuvre. So. And then over in the original uh, category, which, my God, if there is a stacked category, this is it. If there, like, there could not possibly be any more difference in one year between original and adapted. Um, we have The Big Sick, written by Emily V. Gordon and Kamal Nanjani. Get Out, written by Jordan Peele. Lady Bird, written by Greta Gerwig. The Shape of Water, by Guillermo del Toro and Vanessa Taylor. And Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, written by Martin McDonough. Um, I adored the holy hell out of The Big Sick. I'm, I'm happy that it got a nomination because I think it's a great thing for Emily and Kumail, but it doesn't stand a snowball's chance in this category. Yeah, this is like the My Big Fat Greek Wedding yeah. of the year. And I feel like every year should have a My Big Fat Greek Wedding because this was a movie that was a beautiful sort of quasi-romantic comedy. And almost anybody can, most people, not all people, but most people have had dating lives you know, and that's why I think there's an there's always been a history of romantic comedies going all the way back to like Shakespeare, and unfortunately they're always looked down upon or often looked down upon. And every you know five years we'll get an Oscar nominated one, and it's like there should just there's good ones almost every year. There are I I'm I'm with you. The 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 category gets shit upon way too often, and it's really not fair because there's a lot of honesty in a lot of these movies. Um, you know, I mean, you go all the way back to The Apartment is a romantic comedy. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite movies of the century so far, 500 Days of Summer, is a, is a really interesting a romantic comedy, I think. Um, so, you know, congratulations, Emily and Kamail. Uh, enjoy your night because the pressure's off. Um, three bill. I want to go right to Three Billboards because I sort of feel like this might be the category that... Um, Oscar decides to reward Martin McDonough, um, which is kind of a shame because the other three are far more interesting. But the screenplay for this movie cannot be denied. This was a really, really great story. I actually haven't seen this one. Oh, this wow. One ones, yeah, this is one of the ones I didn't go to see because I really disliked his second movie. Oh, yeah. Um, I really love In Bruges, um, mostly because I love Colin Farrell. And this one doesn't have Colin Farrell, so that's the only reason I saw the second one. Okay. And um, 
most of what I've read about this. Um, so true stranger than fiction, my hometown actually had a teenage girl murdered when I was a, a kid and her mother actually put up a billboard, but it wasn't like the billboard shaming the sheriff in this. It was just like, Hey, f figure this out. And then, you know, 20 years later. So my whole childhood, I grew up with this giant billboard that was there the whole time. Oh my God. Reminding everyone that this teenage girl had been killed. Um, and then eventually um, the person was found and went to prison, but his mother also lived in my hometown and she owns a coffee shop and she got shunned and she had to leave the town she'd lived in for 35 years. And it was a really intense thing in my hometown. And I felt like reading what I had about this movie that I don't know that it was as nuanced as a story like this should be having lived through a similar story growing up. And so okay. that's kind of why I didn't want to see it. Okay. I would still suggest you check it out. Um, I, I would, I'm, I'm, like deeply curious what you'd have to say because the film is um, along with being like really, really bitingly funny at times. Um, it's really, really intricate and does some things that I did not expect and has a lot of really um, profound things to say about the world we live in. Um, I, in some ways feel like it's his, atonement for seven psychopaths because when we talked about that movie on this show whatever it was three years ago or four years ago um we talked about that film's treatment of women and how it basically has nothing but disdain uh for the only two female characters in it um i i i don't know if somebody like smacked him upside the head or said you can do better but the creation of the character that um Francis McDormand plays in this movie. I, I, I don't, I, I, you know, I've, I, I've read excerpts from the script yeah. of this. And it, to me, it doesn't sound like he learned anything. Um, do based check, on it what out. I, check it based out. Based on what I've read, it sounds okay. like he like it's, tried it's, to do better women and ended up writing even worse. Uh, in, 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 in some ways, but I just, you know, I, I quote, <laughs> I quote the counselor, I've heard of a coincidence. I've just never seen one before. Um, but um, I, you know, again, the thing that I'm sad about in this category is that we have scripts like Get Out and Lady Bird and Shape of Water all competing against one another because in another year, it would be a way to reward more than one filmmaker because... Del Toro and Gerwig and Jordan Peele all did such amazing things with their movies that I would love it if one was adapted and one was original and then one could get director and you could spread that love. But here we have a category where all three are competing against each other. It's funny because when we come back to making predictions, I my answer for this is going to change like daily. Uh, the only thing I could, the only thing I know for sure is that it will not be the big sick. You could tell me, you know, you think it's going to be one of the other four. And I'm like, yep, that sounds possible. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I do want it to, I, I also have a kind of a stake in the game with get out. Cause I really want get out to win something and script would be a great way to do it. Um, but yeah, it's just... my, it's my number one film of all the nominated everything. It's like, I just want to win everything. Yeah. So. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to come back with four rounds of acting nominees right after this. Come on back.
We're back. It's time to talk about acting, and we will start with the supporting actresses. We have Mary J. Blige for Mudbound, Allison Janney for I, Tanya, Leslie Manville for Phantom Thread, Laurie Metcalf in Lady Bird, and Octavia Spencer in The Shape of Water. Um, I, I want to start with Leslie Manville just because I don't think she'll possibly win, but my uh. God, did I love her in that movie. The best drinking of tea I've seen in years. (laughs) She was good. So, you know, we'll be talking a lot about Phantom Thread as we keep going. But um, one, I really wish Phantom Thread had gotten into original screenplay because, oh, my God. But anyways, um, the thing I loved the most about the movie was every scene I felt differently about the characters. Mm -hmm. And, And every scene I felt differently about characters differently so it wasn't like it shifted equally it was always different and all the dynamics were always different and 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 i thought that was just so well balanced both in terms of the way it was directed written and then acted by these amazing actors cyril in that movie leslie manville in that movie was like i i want a whole movie of just cyril i i I would love i would adore the chance to see this entire story from cyril's point of view um yeah this character is so rich and the way leslie manville plays her is so incredible um she's been she's been at this for so long it's so great to see her get some love um mary mary j blige at mudbound um I, i was so happy with this nomination she doesn't she doesn't get a whole lot to do in the movie. It's really kind of the boys' movie, unfortunately. Um, but every time the action turns to her, uh, she really makes the most of her time in this movie. Yes, I particularly loved the scene where um, her son buys her the chocolate, mm. and she's just like trying to not enjoy it, and he's yeah. like, "You got to enjoy it." And and I think what's um, so lovely about this character is it, it could have really easily been a cliched like suffering mom and it, it never is she's always she's always thinking about multiple people um and multiple um aspects of life not just her kids not just her husband but like wife in general yeah. and and how it's it affects her as well as her family there's a lot of big names in that movie um you know and, and so it's kind of telling that of all the of all the actors in it that she was the one to to land some love um octavia spencer is kind of doing her normal octavia spencer thing in the shape of water i am you know the octavia spencer thing is wonderful and i could watch entire movies just dedicated to that um but i don't know like i and i am happy to see her here but i don't know how much more she did you see this one no Okay, I, I don't really know how much more she did here than she normally does in her normal supporting work. Um, it is cool to see her get nominated in back-to-back years. Um, you know, our already Oscar winner Octavia Spencer now, you know, getting just nominated. It, it's like, like, I mean, that that's some Meryl Streep shit right there. We're going to be talking, yeah. we're going to be getting sick of Octavia Spencer in a few years. I'm okay with that. I'm okay I do, with that. I, I think she is a very affable presence on the screen and i've yet to see a film with her where at least i didn't like her yeah yeah i mean yeah she does she does what she does but she does it really really well um you know if if life was fair um lady bird and i tanya would be coming out in separate years because allison janney and laura metcalf play characters that are 
similar in some ways, very, very different in many others. Um, but I really wish we could award them both. Um, you know, if, if, if I have one wish for this category, it's to hear the words, it's a tie. Yeah. Um, but um, I actually haven't seen Itonia, but I'm going to say that I'm going to pretend this nomination is for Margaret. Sure. Because Allison Janney I like this game. <laughs> I can play this game all day. Allison Janney should have won an Oscar for Margaret, um, and I'm going to keep saying that. So if she finally does win, I think this is her first nomination, though, right? Yeah. So it should have been uh, her first nomination at the very least should have been for Margaret. So um, justice for Margaret. <laughs> yeah. Al like Allison Janney is just has been for so long one of the best actresses out there she's 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 kind of a that woman like she turns you know kind of like a that guy she turns mm -hmm. up in everything and she's always incredible sometimes she's only given just like a few lines i was watching the ice storm a few weeks ago and she's got like that great part where she's hosting the key party um she's uh, really good in um 10 things i hate about you she's oh, the yeah. principal yeah. oh yeah yeah. Oh my God. I love, I love, you know, she, she's, uh, you know, the, the, the stepmom in Juno, she's amazing. And she's, she doesn't even have a whole lot to do in that movie, but every time she does, she does it so well. Meanwhile, Lori Metcalf just like breaks our heart as the working mom in Lady Bird. Um, I, 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 I'm going to take my mother to see this movie and I feel like it's going to be kind of a hard watch because Laurie Metcalf actually reminds me a lot of my mom growing up of the, you know, my mom like working really, really, really hard to, to get her kids um, something better and her kids not always appreciating that. Um, she's, she's another actor who is just so damn talented and always just nails it, whatever she's handed. I kind of have a, a bit of a different read on Lady Bird in general than I think a lot of people had. Well, let's hear it. Um, there was one article in Slate, I think, that ha had a similar read. Um, and I think it comes from a perspective that not everyone has. That, like, this, this character is, I think a lot of people are like, this is like my mom. Except for people whose mother went one step further towards actually abusing them. And... Oh. Unfortunately for me watching this movie, I could see how close she was to the precipice of being an abusive mother, and it was a bit hard to watch. Mm. Um, there were some moments where, uh, there were some lines where I heard it, and then I was like, oh, I know what comes next. They're not going to show that. This isn't, you know, that kind of movie. And uh, so that was, that was uh, rough, and part of why I couldn't love Lady Bird, I think, the way a lot of people did. Because mm. it was a little too... Close. too close like you're like one more scene and i know where this is going one more scene and i lived it so yeah, yeah okay um i mean but it's like it's still an amazing performance um even it's if a you great didn't. performance yeah. yeah you know and and we love laurie metcalf if it, if it can make me feel that then yes yeah, yeah, exactly uh, in supporting actor we have willem dafoe for the florida project woody harrelson for three billboards outside ebbing missouri Richard Jenkins for The Shape of Water, Christopher Plummer for All the Money in the World, and Sam Rockwell for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Christopher Plummer, as we mentioned earlier, is the one who's in a movie that neither one of us have seen. Um, I, 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 I'm just going to pin it on that. I want to be wrong, but I really am getting the sneaking suspicion that this nomination is, hey, good work at the last minute. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know that 
like he's getting an Oscar nomination for something he filmed in November, which just seems really weird. But at the same time, it's like how many years do we have left to nominate Christopher Plummer? So this is I don't true. care. Yeah, you we know, can I'll, get all the nominations. I'll, I'll take the hometown win. You know, for, for the Let's you know go. fifty years that he worked that he didn't get nominated. Yeah. Like, let's give him all the nominations in the last 10 to 20 years of his life. I'm okay all with right. that. That's fine. Yeah. Um, Sam Rockwell and Woody Harrelson in that movie you haven't seen. They're both wonderful. <laughs> um, they're both great working actors, so I'm happy to see both of I'm them. I'm going to play my favorite game and say that I'm going to pretend that Sam Rockwell's first Oscar nomination was actually for Moon. <laughs> <laughs> I really love this. How has it taken you eight appearances to trot out this game? I, I love this know. so much. Um, because I haven't seen it in the movies this year. That's why. But um, I, Sam Rockwell was so good in Moon. And like, where was that? Where was the love then? Uh, he, non, non-existent. Non-existent. I know. Um, hey, we... we, we but I've Richard... seen the Florida Project. We'll, we'll come back to that in just a second. Oh, um, we have Richard Jenkins is 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 uh, welcome to the show, Richard Jenkins. Um, his... This is his second nomination. Did he get it? Oh, he got it for The Visitor too, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. best yeah. actor. Welcome back that to the show, where Richard he Jenkins. Where he got that nomination and everyone was like, "Who is that?" Oh <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I've uh, you know, like six feet under represent here, man. That, that that's I'm I'm he's a guy. Uh, I you know he was. One of the best parts of Spotlight, and we didn't even see him. I still haven't you know? seen Spotlight. It's a good movie. Um, he's he's a voice on the phone the whole time. You only ever hear him on the phone. You never see him. Um, Richard Jenkins. He's he's an actor's actor. He he kind of helps do a bit of grounding for Shape of Water. It's a you know he's really a good. Fantastic. He's a good that guy. Yeah. Oh, he's a great that. There's there's a lot of. This year, it seems like there's a lot of that guys and a lot of that girls. It's 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 really crazy. Um, Willem Dafoe. I watched the Florida Project this week, and first of all, I still need a hug um, for anybody who uh, who wants to give me one uh, after this capital B bummer of a movie. Um, but I didn't really see the fuss about Dafoe. I I loved the movie. I and loved, loved the women in it, but I was like, yeah, he's kind of doing his Dafoe thing. Um, sorry, go ahead. I loved him in this. I loved how warm that character was. Um, cause he was just, he was like just this guy who can see how horrible everything is, but is always trying to make everyone feel comfortable in the best way he can. And, and I loved that about, the performance and the character. Yeah. I, I like, I, you know, it could be a movie like that. I, I think the draw is kind of towards the people who are in the tougher spot, like basically like the poor people. Um, so it could be that I was a little bit more seduced by the poverty on display. Like I was kind of like falling for poverty porn. Um, but uh, I, I know that's, that's terrible to say, but um it, that, that was the thing is that I was I was a little bit more drawn in I was more drawn in by by the by the girl I was more drawn in by Brooklyn than I was by by Willem Dafoe um, although you know I'm always again I'm always happy to see Willem Dafoe nominated he's a guy he's been he's been around for so it's long. every every what is it so it's 86 and then 2000 and then 2007 so it's like every 15 ish years He's, he, he gets it's, himself it's, it's, a spring actor nomination yeah yeah it's you know like set your watches now um, in Bex, in yeah. Be- 
in Best Actress, we have Meryl Streep, of course we do, for The Post, uh, Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird, Margot Robbie for I, Tonya, Francis McDormand for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and Sally Hawkins for The Shape of Water. Welcome back, Sally. Wait, is this her first? No, so she was nominated for Blue Jasmine. Oh yes, yes. Okay, sorry. Mm -hmm. I was, I was like, I was like, I, okay. So I, I'm gonna play my game. The, sorry, I'm gonna play your game. I'm gonna imagine that this is her getting nominated for Happy Go Lucky. That's what I was gonna say. There we go. <laughs> um, she's she so good at Happy Go Lucky. Yeah, she is wonderful in Shape of Water. Um, she's, uh, she's kind of a character who, if she doesn't nail it, you're not gonna buy it. Um, you know, she's not. The, the, there, there's times at the beginning where you think it's going to be really, really twee and, um, you know, in the vein, not that I, I dislike this movie at all because I love it, but you, you kind of think for a moment or two that it's going to be in the vein of Amelie. Um, but it's really, really not. It's, it's, it's very much about somebody who just wants to be seen as who they are and not seen with a label or not seen as like that person. And Sally Hawkins just manages to nail that type of demeanor really really well i'm useless in this category because i've only seen ladybird <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness I'm well, sorry. Let's, let's it's okay let's talk about saoirse ronan then because i got best is, actor down i've seen uh, that, i'm glad one of those ones, does so um, we'll get there so, saoirse ronan <laughs> this is her third nomination at age 23 how do you feel about your life um I'm pretty good. I got a cat. You know, whatever. I'm, I don't act. <laughs> You've got I popcorn with yeast topping. What are you doing? You're, you're I, living exactly, the dream. I'm good. I'm living the dream. I think she's great in this film. Um, I, I still think of her nominated performances, my favorite is still Atonement because I hated mm. her so much. Yeah. And and that performance made me feel the most out of all of her performances. Mm -hmm. um, I also really didn't care for Brooklyn. So I was like the one person who didn't like that movie. Um, <laughs> oops. But um, she, she's an actress who gets hype and I buy it. Whereas yeah. a lot of the younger, this younger generation, I, I see them and I'm like, I don't, I don't understand why you like this actress. So, yeah, I do like that. Um, she does she first of all she does different things and that her three nominations are four very very different things like i i don't get me wrong i love actresses like uh kira knightley and um rose Byrne and, and marion cotillard but a lot of them feel like they're doing very similar things over and over and over um Sersha seems to be kira knightley does very different things but the ones that are different no one sees this is probably true. Uh, See, this is a big Kira Knightley fan who's seen many of her films that no one has seen. What, what's a Kira Knightley film that I should see that nobody's seen? Laggies. Okay. Uh, oh, wait, no, I saw that. I love that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I take it back. You're right. No, good okay. point. Okay. Right, well said. Uh, okay. Last Night. Have you seen Last Night? I've been meaning to for so long. Okay. okay. That's a much that better movie than it's given credit for okay. being... Okay. And another one makes me cry every time I watch it. I will chase that down. Um, Meryl Streep is kind of the uh, kind of the uh, fifth person on this list. Um, like, it's it's kind of a class of four and one. But the thing is, is that 
Meryl doing her Meryl thing, first of all, really well. I, I love the post and I love her in it. Um, but part of the bigger thing that's boosting her up is that there was nobody really, truly behind her who stood a snowball's chance. So that's the thing is that it, somebody could say Meryl again. And I usually say, well, OK, if we take Meryl out, then who? Um, but she's great in the post. Um, she's do This is the kind of thing I like her doing more of. Like I would trade this nomination handily for, you know, three Julie and Julia's or three into the woods. Um, Margot uh, Robbie. She's very good in Julie and Julia. She's good, but she's not. She's not top five good. Is my point. This is more to me top five good. Um, the, you know, the, is that because you don't like genre pictures? No, no, I love genre okay. pictures. I just, I just didn't like her in that movie. Um, Margot Robbie, I'm really happy to see here because um, this to me struck me as a really uh, tough ask of playing Tanya Harding and making her sympathetic. I know that it's been you know close to 25 years and the worm on what happened there has totally turned but it's still a tough ask to take somebody like that and turn them into the sympathetic character at the core of the story and she does it she totally does it effortlessly there's another one i haven't seen yeah i liked i liked um figure skating as a youth too much and i i saw that most of the creative um, beings behind this were male, and I was like, mm. "Yeah, yeah." I mean, and this this may be bias, but I felt like um, to really capture, or for me to really capture what it was like to be like a child watching. Which maybe this movie's not meant for children, but like thirty year olds are seeing it, so I think it should be. Um, watching all of that go down, and just in watching nineties figure skating, it was very much something that was for mostly for girls mm -hmm. and to have not women tell the story just i don't know that i am okay with that i mean the one thing that's really interesting about it that may be a draw for you is how that sport then and in many ways still um is for one type of girl um, and how Tanya Harding really didn't fit that mold. Um, yes, yes. And, and, you know that like they, that is really, really spelled out of the the kind of the kind of little girl that gets to go and do figure skating, and not only just you know what background they come from, but then also what's being asked of them because this shit ain't cheap and this shit ain't yes. ain't, ain't, ain't easy. So for somebody who just has the raw talent that Tanya Harding had and she did to do it. It's, it's not just about that. that that's one of the points is it's not just about being good. You've yeah. also got to be a certain type of girl. And one uh, shocking thing I saw in the conversation on this was that so many people forgot that she was the first woman to land the triple axel. Yeah. And I was like, that's why she was famous. Yeah first yeah like yeah. that's how that's that's why I, it kind of makes me sad that like uh, you know scandal will always trump someone's talent yep um and in this case i mean yeah maybe it was a pretty bad scandal but it would be nice to think that people would remember both 
reasons. Yeah. Because the only reason it became a scandal was because of the talent. So you, you you can't have you wouldn't have had the scandal without the landing of the triple axle. So like how is how how that collectively got forgotten is shocking. Yeah, it's um you know, this not not to give anything away because it's really not any kind of a spoiler or anything like that, but this movie ends with uh, Harding's like the the actual footage of Harding's routine when she landed that for the first time and mm-hmm. along with just first of all just being able to see how good she was on skates you also just get to see pure joy for three minutes like watching Tanya Harding skate that routine is absolute happiness on the face of a redneck and it's not something you get to see every day and it, 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 Margot Robbie really got outside of herself to do this you know this is not the same kind of blonde bombshell that was in uh, uh wolf of wall street or you know like sitting in a bathtub in the big short um this is really a different side of her and i'm i'm, I'm hoping it's a sign of things to come um over in best actor uh we've got a very interesting little field we have denzel washington for roman j israel esquire gary oldman for the dark knows no definite article i keep doing that no, yeah, no, Gary Oldman for <laughs> Gary Oldman for Darkest Hour, Daniel Kaluuya for Get Out, Daniel Day Lewis for Phantom Thread, and Timothy Chalamet for Call Me by Your Name. Let's start with Denzel because this is the one film that you've Yay! seen that I haven't, and I know you love you, Denzel. I do, and I saw this when the date opened, and nobody saw this movie, and it was really <laughs> bummed me um, for two reasons. One, the movie was marketed like it was a '90s. Um, uh, you know, legal thriller, like John mm-hmm. Grisham-esque thing. And it, that's not what this movie is at all. It's got more in common with like a 50s style legal noir, which is a, a form of noir that like wasn't, there aren't a ton of them, but there are several. And, um, like Anatomy of this, a Murder? No, that's not really noir. No, oh. more like... Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I get you. Um, Beyond a Reasonable Doubt and right, so things like right. that where um, they're trying to sort of solve something but not like a detective okay and um one two denzel's character is on the autism spectrum but it's never no one ever mentions it no one ever makes it a thing it really he just is okay and and when i first saw it i tried to find like did any of the movie writers write about this aspect not a single thing denzel talked about it and his preparation for the role and i found one really good article on an autism blog that talked about how much of a step forward this is for the representation of the spectrum in cinema in that instead of, you know, having tics or things, he just, it was just, he just lived it. Um, and so you wouldn't like, if you, if you're, you know, aware of what someone on the autism spectrum can be like, you know, that's what he's doing, but it wasn't like a flashing red light of I have autism. Right. Um, and I thought that was just great. Um, And so maybe the movie is, you know, not as good as this performance, but I'm glad the performance stood out as much as it did. And and there was a lot of chatter about, oh, he's Denzel. He got a Denzel nomination the way Meryl gets a Meryl nomination. And I'm like, except that it was, in my opinion, I think top five Denzel. And I've seen almost all of his movies. So I'm very comfortable in saying that. High praise, very high praise. Um, I, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm certainly curious to see it. I, I wasn't before the nomination, so shame on me. Um, I will say this, like, you know, people saying Denzel gets his Denzel nomination. The funny thing I was talking about this with somebody the other day is it feels like Denzel gets his Denzel nominations when he's not playing Denzel. Like if you 
look at a lot of his cop roles and a lot of his soldier roles and a lot of his teacher roles, they're all very interchangeable. But when he gets outside of himself a little bit and shows you just how talented he is um, effortlessly, like, you know, he, he can do all that, no problem, but he can also do these other stuff also without breaking a sweat. That to me feels like when they, when the Academy really kind of perks up and notices. So, you know, he's playing, drunk and broken in flight he's playing hard working and broken in fences it, it i i like this side of him a little bit more uh if that makes sense mm-hmm. he's just and he's also gets moments where he gets to be really funny in this movie okay and it's not not that it's a comedy but he gets some moments where he gets to be funny yeah and um because the, the character just has his social skills aren't 100 there and so it, <laughs> He, he, you know, he cracks in, you know, wit in moments that generally you wouldn't be like, yeah, you probably shouldn't say that in that situation, but he just does. Okay. And he's just, uh, he's just really good. Yeah. Um, and I want him to be nominated in everything. So, yeah. Um, you know. Gary, Gary Oldman is likely going to win this category for darkest hour. Uh... Um, yeah. I mean, we could, we could dedicate a whole show to, in my mind, he's winning for, um, Zorg, right? Zorg. Sure, I, I was gonna say. Jack Emanuel Zorg, like no, I who could well, do that I, role. I, I, I could, have, could do that role. I could, I, I, I was gonna say I'd have him winning for, uh, for playing Sid Vicious, um, or you pretty, know, pretty much Beethoven, or everything. really, I was gonna say just throw a dart, you know, any of his other roles. Um, I, you know, it's it's weird because even even his role in The Contender. Yeah. Oh my God. He's that's so. Such, yeah. He's so great in the oh. contender. This, you know, this is such a showy part, and I think that's what I love the most about Gary Oldman. Is even though he is half the time he is so over the top, he's never showy. Um, I, you know, it, 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 don't get me wrong. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I will be very happy to be saying, Oscar winner Gary Oldman. But I, I, as much as I enjoy Darkest Hour, I'm like, yeah, okay. So, uh, you know, and, and it pains me to be saying that. This is, yeah. this is like one of the greatest actors of our generation. And I'm like, yeah, he's going to win it for this. I, 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 you know, I would have loved to it's have seen like, it. It's like, you know, Academy Award winner Martin Scorsese for The Departed. And you're like. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Okay. Really? Um, I mean, I like The Departed, but... Yeah, no, oh, no me too. I, I love it, but you know, yeah, if we're, <laughs> if we're playing that game. Like, um, welcome to the show, Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, oh, I, my I, God. I, you know, I, I hope this is a sign of things to come for him. Honestly, of all of these, as much as I loved in, in both Denzel and, and Daniel Day-Lewis, I, one, I want, like, one of the Daniels to win and then the other to stand up because that would be hilarious. But yeah. also, um, or like, you know, the cameras on both because they don't know. Um, but I also really just think of all these performances, the one that is the most like a real person, but not is this performance in Get Out. And I always like it when the, the Academy acknowledges someone who's able to play a real person, like mm-hmm. who feels like I could be having coffee with this character. And there's not a single moment in Get Out where, um, this character doesn't feel like just a guy in a really bad situation. I mean, this film is absurd, right? So it's the kind of movie that you need a warm center at the middle of it 
to keep you in it otherwise you're just you know you're gonna you're gonna tap out and say this is bananas um and he does he has to do a lot of things like he's you know he's there's times where he's just playing straight and saying you know oh we're in that situation okay here we go um or there's times where he's genuinely terrified there's times where he's like paralyzed in fear um he's he's has to do just so damn much in a genre film um that yeah it's 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 like it's like it's a clinic he does in less than two hours what some actors you know hope to do their whole lifetime and and quite a bit of his acting is reacting oh yeah um so much of what he does is 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 in his his eyes Mm -hmm. and the way he's viewing what's happening um more than I think any of the other actors in this category. It's, it's, you want, you see what he sees because you see him seeing. Yep. Does that make sense? And, no, it and, makes complete sense. And it helps set the entire tone of the film. Um, so the performance sets the tone of the film and everything the film accomplishes, for the most part, is accomplished because of what we're going through with him. Yep. I mean, if you want to see his range, there's, you know, there, there's pictures of him uh, just holding his camera and standing all confident and looking and his eyes are kind of like half closed. Contrast that to the iconic shot of this movie of him with eyes wide open in tears. And it's like it's like night and day. It's, it's almost like two different dudes. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm so happy. I really hope that this is his coming out party that we're going to see like a lot more of him. He's really young, too. Um, so I, I really, really hope that this is, um, a sign of things to come. Um, Timothy Chalamet, another young actor, uh, you know, the again, youngest best actor nomination since Mickey Rooney. There's a lot of actors this year who had good years in total. Um, cause yeah. he was also, you know, he also did some work in Lady Bird as well. Um, I mean, he's, he doesn't exactly do heavy lifting in call me by your name, but his his character like he's he's got to go through a lot like as, as a guy who's supposed to be really unsure of himself and really just kind of put through an emotional ringer and he sold me basically on the end of this movie like the, the movie ends with him just kind of staring off camera into this fireplace and he goes through this range of emotions just sitting there staring in place and i actually See, probably could have i could have nominated part- him just for that that's the part in the movie that everyone keeps telling me because I didn't particularly care for this film that everyone's like well what about the ending it stayed with me for days and I I honestly don't think the film earned that ending I Mm. agree that that is a great ending I don't think the film earned that ending Um, it's it's funny because the part that stayed with me like to this day actually isn't even had anything to do with Timothy Chalamet it's it was Michael Stuhlbarg that stayed with me for days I hated that speech so oh much my God. I, I, as much as I loved Stuhlbarg like that yeah. was crap and I, I hated that whole character um yeah. but I have many reasons for why I didn't like that character but what I will say about Timothy Chalamet I hated this character um and I think not because it was a bad performance but because it was a truly go- great performance of a really obnoxious teenage boy oh yeah oh, he's a shit he's like, he's such a he, shit he's a and twerp like, to just about everybody in this movie i grew up with a teenage brother like he wasn't much of a jerk but like some of the gross things that like i wish i 
didn't have to live through because boys are gross. Um, yeah. I felt like I was reliving <laughs> growing up with my brother, and I was like, I don't need this. I got out of this. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, uh, I to the same point of um, how I hated the character in Atonement, like, same thing. Like, yeah. she was a little shit, and, and that's great. I think it's a great performance when you can really, truly make you hate this character. See, the thing I'm wondering, though, is he was a shit in Lady Bird as well, so is he really acting a stretch? He felt like a real shitty teenage boy in that one. I felt like it almost felt a little uh, cliched in Lady Bird. Okay. Okay, and then, of course, we have uh, we have Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, for the final time, the man is retiring. Supposedly. Go, I guess he's, uh, supposedly, I guess he's going to go back to Italy and make shoes again. Yeah. Um, I... Uh, Mike, in I, one of I his could, funniest performances. Yeah, like I, I could have handed him a nomination just for his his disdain for chic. Yeah. Um, everything, everything about the Fan- Phantom Thread, the, the Phantom Thread, everything about Phantom Thread is fantastic. I loved it. I um, at one point wanted to be a menswear designer, so I, I know quite a bit about fashion design, and so I went in thinking like. You know, I was a little dubious, and then I was like, "No, yeah, D- um, everyone here did their due diligence on what, like, how awful everyone in fashion is." It was great; <laughs> I loved it. Um, it's it's kind of funny because this nomination for me, it's kind of the opposite of um, of Gary Oldman. Like, this is one of somebody in their late career still doing really interesting things and not specifically trying to win Oscars. Daniel Day-Lewis just kind of gets nominated for showing up, but it's just kind of a measure of his talent and the films that he picks. Usually that's the same thing with, with Gary Oldman usually picks really good stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was everything so, about Day-Lewis in this movie, just top to bottom. I loved the one thing that I will say though, is I don't think his performance would have been as strong without the two women. Oh, and Leslie no. Manville gets her, her due, but where is Vicki Cripes? And I know we have that section later in the podcast, but Daniel Day-Lewis would not have been so good in this role if not if he didn't have such a good sparring partner. Absolutely. Ab- absolutely. Like, I'm... I'm... I, you know, when we, we talked about that uh, movie on the last episode and I, I went on and on about her uh, and my, and my, my guest, uh, Kurt Halfyard went on and on about Vicky, um, you know, in terms of what she did in this movie and how she never looks out of place, never seems to back down from either Day Lewis or Leslie Manville. Um, you're right. Yeah. He's, he's only, like, he's always as good as the people around him who elevate him and whether that's. Sally Field, or whether that's Leonardo DiCaprio, or whether that's um, you know um, Pete Postlethwaite, he he's always seems to be playing off of incredible talent, and good on him for being able to kind of vampire leech that stuff and and turn it into something special. I'm I'm really gonna assuming this is his actual retirement, I will absolutely miss him. Okay, we're going to take another break here, uh, get a drink of water, and we'll come back in a second with talk of Best Director and Best Picture.
We're back. She's Mariah. I'm Ryan. We're talking about the 90th annual Oscar ceremony coming up in a few weeks, talking about the nominees who've landed themselves citations for directing and picture and acting and writing. And we're on to the best directors. Um, we have a little motley crew uh, selected this year. There is Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water, Paul Thomas Anderson for Phantom Thread, Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, Jordan Peele for Get Out, and Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk. This is four out of five first-time nominees in this category. Yeah. Which is crazy. It's bananas, yeah. Um, and, when the, and, the, and no one has won, so no matter who wins, this is their first win in this category. Yeah. Um, we'll start with Christopher Nolan, because, um, like... Christopher Nolan is kind of playing a game of eventuality. It's it's only a matter of time before he wins himself an Oscar. I uh, in a weaker year, I'd say Dunkirk would have run away with it, but it just it, you know we got to this was, we got to quarter this four. This was my uh, second least favorite movie of the year. Right, right. Um, so <laughs> tell tell people why. I it's I have I had like a laundry list of reasons why, um, but I think my number one reason was. Um, I'm assuming everyone has seen it because it was a largely well-seen film. Um, if you're going to have like five different storylines and you're going to acknowledge that women exist, one of those storylines needs to be women. And and you had he had a nurse hand out freaking tea. Mm-hmm. She couldn't have the you bet the I bet you those nurses were freaking the freak out in yeah. the thing also, and they were drowning. Why yeah. didn't they get one of the storylines? So that. I and then it perpetuated know. this idea that women didn't don't do never did anything in war, and that's didn't used to happen. I, I saw um, a bunch of really great silent films last year, and several of them were were um, from the twenties, and they were about really interesting women who did things during World War One. And a lot of World War One movies were about women, not just women at home, but women on the war front. And then a lot of Early World War II films, especially ones made during the war, talked about women in war. And you didn't start seeing war films cut women out of the narrative until the late 40s and into the 50s, at which point it, it, there's a whole generations of men who've grown up assuming that women didn't do anything during World War I or World War II other than, you know, maybe Rosie the Riveter, and that needs to stop. And, and hand out sandwiches and tea. Yes. Right. Yes, and, uh, and I, so that yeah. all of that, you know, yes, that's not in the movie. That's why I don't like the movie. Yeah, um, and that Black. makes total sense to me. Um, I mean, I, and, I, and again, I like have a few other reasons oh, yeah. based on on the actual movie itself, um, but I we don't need to go down that road. <laughs> um, and and yeah, you know, again, we're not going to cry too hard over Christopher Nolan because, as I said, it's a game of eventuality. He will. It's just a matter of time. Like the the. The last several movies he's made, the the Academy just kind of seems to have a great big love fest for him. It's not going to take him too long to 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 be up there. So I'm not I'm not really worried that this is the last time I'm going to see him in this in this batch. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson, I am pleasantly surprised by all the love for Phantom Thread, just because I really thought that was a movie that was just going to get like one or two nominations. I thought something like. Costume um, and actor. Yeah, yeah, that's actually exactly what I thought. What yeah, I was yeah, that, that yeah. was all I thought it was going to get. I, I didn't think anything about script, anything about the the women in it, and certainly not Paul Thomas Anderson. Or God knows, I I didn't see that coming in like picture. Um, Anderson, uh, we we talked about it on the last episode. He's really just 
continues to evolve as as a filmmaker. You know, he he did his nouveau Altman thing for the early part of his career, and now he seems to be on a whole other path that is, for my money, kind of more interesting. You know, when I first saw the trailer for this, I was unsure if I was going to like it. And yep. I know that I shouldn't trust trailers. I never do. But sometimes, I, you know, you see the trailer enough times. I see a lot of movies in theaters. And, I'm, I, you know, so I see the trailers. And then I'm like, oh. And I've yet, I've never not liked a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. And I love several of his films. So I should have known better than to doubt, like, that he would make a movie that I would love. But the trailer made it really seem... I think a very different film than what he actually made. Yeah. Um, it made it seem, I think a lot of people who came out of it thinking it was misogynistic went into it thinking it was misogynistic because the trailer made it seem misogynistic. And this film is far from misogynistic. Mm. Um, and if anything, it turns misogyny on its head. And, but the, if you went in thinking it was going to be misogynistic because the trailer made you think that it might've been hard to let go of that thought yeah. and read it that way. And that's kind of unfortunate. And, and that's how I went in thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be really misogynistic. That trailer was terrible. I was really afraid. And then, like I said, every single scene, the characters' dynamics kept shifting. And I was like, this is brilliant. And, and it has, you know, I, I wish it was a one-two director screenplay nomination because he, you know, did both. But um, if you're going to, like, wrap it all into one nomination, I think his direction in this film is maybe the best he's ever done. Um, uh, yeah, I could, I mean, because, I mean high, it's not high the praise. Most, that's that's, that's it's high not praise the right most there. directing he's ever done. Obviously, like, he did the, those huge ensemble pieces, and he balanced tons of, of amazing performances. I'm thinking, like, Magnolia in particular has so many standout performances. But in this one, he, he his calibration of, of each scene is so precise that um, I don't know that I've seen him, like, be so precise in yeah. a film before like it's a film about fashion so like i said i wanted to be a fashion designer i am a big fan of oh it's close enough you cannot do that in fashion no right? you just, no you literally cannot it has to be precise and that's part of why i think his direction in this film is a little more um is a little less languid than he often is because he's making a film about the world of fashion and it has to be precise yeah and and um i think he probably did so much research that he turned into a couturier while making the film. It's, it's um, a nice, it's a nice marriage of form and function. Look at that. Yes. There um, you go. Yeah. Greta Gerwig is here in a bit of directing where I've, I've actually been reading a lot of people poo pooing this direction thinking, you know, Oh, she just turned the camera on and away she went and show me, show me where this film is well directed, which I do not buy for a second because I, I th there's a lot of, really high emotions running in this movie. And I don't think that anybody gets there without Gerwig steering the ship. I definitely think in terms of world creation, you, and if you're looking at a director and a writer director as a world creator, yep. um, she created a world that she um, is the master of and did it really well. Um, like you, you really felt like she recreated Sacramento she also, I mean, you know, she, she takes a character who's not really likable. Lady Bird is not exactly entirely sympathetic for a lot of this movie. She does some pretty awful things. Um, you said yourself that her mother teeters towards abuse. 
I think those things as well go hand in hand with what you're just saying about the world building that you bring these things out in the actors and you, 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 like you said, you steer the ship. Um, and that's, that's a really talented director that can get there. Yes. <laughs> I don't have a follow up to that. That's all right. You should oh. point out like she is the fifth, uh, only the fifth woman to be nominated. But that said, she's, they were all white women. And I think that's important when we're talking about these superlatives, like five white women, five black men. Yeah. Um, What's it's, missing from that? <laughs> yeah. It, it's pretty glaring. You know, we're, we're in a, uh, I, I feel like we're in a, we're witnessing a tipping point for direction. I really, really, really do believe um, that the one thing that's going to come from this push is that we're going to see less and less instances of what Natalie Portman described on the Golden Globes of here are the five white men nominated. Um, you know, it's, it's good. It's, I, I, maybe I'm an optimist, you know, I, I believe in the tooth fairy. Um, but I feel like we're going to get to a place of a, a more representation in storytelling faster than we think. Um, it's going to be on a lot of people to make it happen though. The good thing about it is now that you're able to say Oscar nominee, Greta Gerwig, she's got some clout and she can bring people with her. Jordan Peele, who we were going to talk to about next, his production company is already dedicated to fostering storytellers who are not represented. And I mean, Jordan Peele, like, you know, the clown from Comedy Central, that's an amazing position to take of saying, I have been fortunate. I have been blessed. I am now going to use this position to the best of my ability. Yeah. I think there's a lot of filmmakers who have broken down barriers just in the last like four years that aren't just breaking down barriers, but also then pulling people up. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have to do both. Mm -hmm. And I think we finally have, I'm going to say it, younger people who understand that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, that you have to do both. Yeah. You can't, you, it's not enough to just break down a barrier. No, no. Or, or grouse about a barrier. It's like, okay, you know, we're, we're going to do this. What, what are you in, what can you change within your own skill set? Um, the unfortunate thing about all of this is that lost in the shuffle here is the guy who probably stands as the front runner, Guillermo del Toro, who, yeah. you know, is, is, is a one, a, a worthy, recipient if he does happen to have his name called two is a mexican working in america and canada at a time where mexicans are not really well liked in america his whole story of the shape of water is his love for monsters his um you know appreciation of what monstrous looks like and what it can like the way it's beautiful and the way it's terrible and in any other year this would be a wonderful thing to celebrate but it's going to be like well here's another boy i haven't seen this movie mostly because i generally don't vibe with del toro but what i will say is any director who can make a film about a woman sleeping with a fish man and it's one of the most popular, most seen films of the year by like middle America. Yeah. That's a feat. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say that's a feat. It is. He, it, it, he yeah. made, he made something like that and people loved it. So, um, even if I, I mean, I haven't seen it. I don't know. I can't I don't have an opinion, but like I can bow to that. And, and the fact that he even got so much to, he's like, you know what? 
uh, it's a fish man and a woman. And someone was like, here's $10 million or whatever it costs. <laughs> like the fact that he managed to get out of that meeting. Yeah. That money, yeah. That's, and you know, the thing is, um, we always talk about directors as people who, um, other in terms of acting or, or mise-en-scene or things like that. But the directors also do the hiring and, and work in tandem with the producers to get the money. Yeah. And if you're looking at it from that perspective, the fact that he got the money and then got a wide release for a movie about a man, fish, yeah. woman relationship, like right. that's some good directing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's trippy because this movie is a marriage of a lot of things. This movie is part musical. This movie is part melodrama. This movie is part like monster movie, beauty and the beast. And it's this weird little mishmashy bouillabaisse of all of them. Um, that, somehow still works um del toro like i mean i'm i'm deep 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 in the tank for this man um he's he's adopted toronto as his hometown um i have listened to him lecture time and time and time again on everything from uh um the devils to great expectations and the one thing that's kind of incredible is his own movies have only been kind of middle of the road i mean uh, as much as i love movies like pacific rim and crimson peak they weren't really well received and they weren't really they didn't really work yeah, for audiences he, he at hasn't large. had a, a movie that was well loved for 10 years i think um yeah that's a long ass time years uh, yeah pan's labyrinth got five nominations and many people felt he should have got a director nomination that year and he didn't yeah so it's so you know the, the what i guess what we're saying is you know it, it's it's wonderful that he managed to make this hit and it's wonderful that he could potentially win it's just kind of a bummer that you know he he won't really be able to celebrate it as much as he could have if it had been a few years ago um okay moving on to best picture we've got nine again after dropping down to eight last year um we have call me by your name the darkest hour God damn it. There's no definite article. Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, The Shape of Water, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which is, right this moment, one of the frontrunners. But we'll come back to that. You know, if I'm, if I'm calling an oddity in this year's nominations, it's the cooling of love for The Post. Um, I, when I saw this movie, felt like this was gift wrapped for uh one of the top contender movies but you know based on the talent that was gathered based on what's going on in your country right now with the with you know combative nature with the media and here we are nomination week and this thing just falls flat i think some of that has to do with the fact that there is a changing face in the um academy makeup and they don't care that's, that, that is quite likely. Like, like there were many, many years where a movie of the moment was the movie, and now it's like there's always going to be a movie of the moment. What's actually the best movie? And I think um, – so I've seen five of these films, and I pretty well know what the other four are, are kind of like based on – I live on the internet. Um, <laughs> and and, and what it, what's wonderful – about this group, whether I liked the films or not, and to be honest, I only really like two of the five that I've seen, um, is that it's a true um, diverse look at at what came out last year. Yeah. Um, there, every single movie is a different kind of movie. 
there aren't two movies that are similar because that ha- has happened. Um, there's, you know, a whole bunch of different types of producers and directors and uh, screenwriters mixed in. And, and so, you know, regardless of whether these are quote unquote the best and like, I don't believe in best anyways, this is yeah. a, a pretty good um, summation of like 2017 in cinema. This is true. This is very, very true. Um, you know, here we, again, we have Call Me By Your Name, even though you don't care for it. Um, I'm, I'm happy it exists. I'm happy it got love. I was actually really worried. I vocally said uh, a week or two ago, I half expected it to miss the cut um, because there were reports published online of Academy members saying, we just went there with Moonlight, to which I thought to myself, so there's only one male queer story we can tell because if if you want like five other queer films from 2017 that i think are actually better reach me out on twitter i'll I'll let you there we go darkest hour uh it's fine um i'm almost tempted to see it because my coworker loved it and she loves joe wright and i too love joe wright I um, adore and I, and Joe Wright. And I want to see if it's as Joe Wrightish as she says it is. Mm, um, I, I would say it's not. I would rather you watch Anna Karenina like five more yeah, times. Yeah, I freaking love Anna Karenina. I would, I would rather you watch Joe Hannah five more times than watch I actually Darkest still Hour. haven't seen Hannah. Oh, my, oh then, then please watch Hannah okay. <laughs> instead of Darkest um, I also want to point out because I feel like I've sounded like I haven't seen anything. And that's because like the movie that got the most nominations – I haven't seen, but I want to point out to those who have not listened before that of 548 best picture nominees in the history of the Oscars, I've seen 492 of them. Yeah, no, Mar- Mariah is not here because no. <laughs> you know, b- because we're buddies or because you know she's she's got like dulcet tones. Um, yeah. by, by the time, certainly by the time we get to not the Oscar night, you'll have caught up on what needs catching up. Um, Dunkirk is here. Uh, Dunkirk and Darkest Hour kind of make a neat little double feature because it's two sides of the same story. Um, it's not going to win anyway. And if uh, you want a, a third side, watch Their Finest. There we go. Um, yes. There's Get Out, which in a perfect world, Get Out would be Best Picture. I don't quite think it has the votes. Um, hey, maybe... but Oscar nominee, nominee Jason Bloom. That sounds nice. Who is Jason oh. Bloom? Jason Bloom, what? Okay, Jason Bloom founded Bloom House. Um, he has a really interesting story. I can't remember all of it, but basically, he worked in various jobs as you do in Hollywood. And then he's like, you know, what I, what I really love is genre and horror. And so he saved up all his money, created a company called Bloom House, started making these like really micro budget horror films. I think he did like Paranormal Activity was his first big thing he acquired. Um, and then slowly was like looked at the horror market and specifically said who are the best people working in this? And he actually, he hired the editor in chief of shock to you drop to be, and yeah, to be the head of, it's a horror website to be the head of his uh, development. I think because he's like, Hey, I want to make good horror films. You know, who knows who the good horror filmmakers are? The guy who sees all the horror movies. Right. Um, And then as soon as he'd made that acquisition and started making these really small films where he let the filmmakers make what they wanted to make, he made a lot of money because I mean, okay. always makes money, right? So then yeah. I, some of his films, I think, are probably not at the caliber as the rest. But for the most part, he's his company makes solid horror films with one or two really great films. And then with all of that, you get Get Out, which is 
um, a genre film that he took, um, you know, basically Jordan Peele was like, I have this idea. I need this amount of money. Please let me do my thing. And Jason's like, do it. And then this is what you get when you have a, a producer and a company that lets artists make their art. They have been cranking range. out movies like no tomorrow over the last, like this guy, he has been a busy, busy man. Yeah. This is the guy behind. Okay. So he's behind get out. He's behind split viral hush, the veil gem and the, holograms, the, the visit. The did, uh, I forgot he produced whiplash. I yeah. He about produced that. whiplash. So paranormal already activity. He's already an Oscar nominee. Yeah. Insidious, but, uh, sinister, the Bay. This has been a busy, busy guy. So, you know, good on, good on to finally get a nomination for all his hard work. Almost all horror. I guess Whiplash is one of the few non-horror films that uh, Boomhouse did. I mean, I don't know that, how that I happened. Mean, I Whiplash, hear that Whiplash is kind of scary. Um, so we've got, <laughs> we've got, yeah, we have Phantom Thread oh, here. And the holograms, huh? Oh yeah, Phantom yeah. and the holograms. Phantom okay. Thread got a best uh, picture nomination, Shape of Water, um, as well. And three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, which um, right now is certainly one of the front runners. Um, you know, I, 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 again, I said it before, I'll say it again. I am curious when you do eventually catch up with this movie, what you have to say. Um, it, it's, it is really complicated. It's not perfect. I loved it. Um, but I think if nothing else, the movie kind of deserves to be lauded for featuring characters that are not completely one thing or the other. There's a lot of good people who do bad things and there's a lot of terrible people who can do some good things. And we're, I will say based on what I've heard about the film. So this is all conjecture. Sure. Put that out there. Sure. Um, I don't, and this is maybe something that if you're not American is specifically not from the South, you might have a different take, but yeah. it's, very hard to um, cheer for a film that has a man who is very deeply racist and that centers on his redemption Um, because America is a country that refuses to notice that it is founded on deep racism Mm -hmm. and we keep looking at ourselves as if we can redeem ourselves without actually looking at our the horror that we are based on. And this is both in terms of what we did to native Americans as well as, um, found being founded on slavery. And I think this is a film that is written by an outsider who thought he had insights, but because he's truly not from this country, I don't know that his insights are that great. Whereas, uh, if you compare it to 12 years a slave, that was an at film from an outsider that needed an outsider to really show a brave outsider who would be like, Hey, here's the actual veins of your, you know, skin. And, and I think, I think this is a case of, of one person who really deeply went into, uh, wanted to expose a nerve and someone else who thought that's what they were doing, but didn't. It's, it's in there um, without giving too much away. Um, the 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 character. No, 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 no. I say, I'm not going to say that it's not in there. No, I know. What I think he thought he did is probably not what happened. And if you're going to set a film in the South 
and not and talk about racism and have a character who brutalizes black people and have um, black characters barely have any part of the story. Yeah. Um, other than as window dressing, you you clearly do not understand the yeah. South. It's it's not as big a part of the story as it seems. Um, the story like his his racism and his abuse of people of color is it, like I think it's just kind of mentioned like at one point she says something that's like the, that's the point that's no, the I, point it, but it's, it's just, but it's just mentioned. But, that's not that's not good enough I'm gonna put a pin in this because I do want to come back to it after you see it um, yes but I but I, 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 I do hear what you're saying and it and totally is valid um, but I want to come back to it um, so that is the nominations we are gonna take a quick break here and come back with some trends some omissions some thoughts on uh, the rest of the nominations right after this should be a whole other show people there should be a whole other show about the conversations that are going on between mariah and i <laughs> off, conversations off mic and a lot of feelings about a movie i haven't it really seen. it really could um <laughs> so you know the the conversation immediately on any nomination morning no matter what award it is usually turns to omissions within you know record time um, were there any omissions from this slate of nominees that jumped out at you off the top? I would say one original screenplay for the Phantom Thread, mm. 100%. Um, I would say I would have really loved to have seen um, Vicky Cripes yeah. in the... I would get rid of Meryl Streep for Vicky Cripes in a heartbeat. Sure. i do that trade. Um, like, done. Uh, I would have loved... It wasn't going to happen. I would have loved to have seen a nomination for either Jason Mitchell or Garrett Hedlund in Mudland, Mudbound, mm. um, or a joint nomination because really what was so great was their chemistry together. Um, <laughs> have them share one they, trophy? Yeah, just share a supporting actor nomination. It's fine. Um, you know what? You could have Woody Harrelson and Sam Rockwell share one spot and Garrett Hedlund and Jason Mitchell share another spot, and it's fine. I like Except that I don't, I don't know if the two of them acted together in the three billboards because I didn't see that one. But they, they you know, do. they do. Yeah. Okay, good. They can share a spot. They can share a spot. Everybody wins. Yeah. Um, there's no rules. We don't need rules. Um, and then I guess obviously for best picture, I would have loved to have seen Mudbound and a nomination for Dee Rees. I think she created something really wonderful, and I think part of the um, reason it got shut out in as many categories as it did was. There's this anti-Netflix thing, but also, um, and I mean, this is true for a lot of, a lot of these films are watched on screeners, so you're going to watch it tiny anyways, but like, for example, um, Barry Jenkins started watching Phantom Thread on a screener, stopped, drove his ass to the arc light, and watched it on a big screen, because he realized he was making a huge mistake <laughs> watching it on his tiny TV, and he needed to see it, how it was designed to be made. Mudbound was not made as a Netflix film. It was made as a film. Yeah. Um, and and you see that in this the groundbreaking glass shattering nomination for Rachel Morrison's cinematography. And I thankfully got to see Mudbound on a big screen, and it did things with sound that I guarantee you most people who saw it as a screener didn't see, right? Um, didn't hear. 
Um, <laughs> I thought <laughs> I, there's some nuances in acting that will all never, ever show up when you watch it on a screen. Um, one of my go-to examples of this is the first time I saw uh, A Place in the Sun, I was like, eh, it's okay. And then I saw A Place in the Sun on the big screen, and suddenly all those performances were completely different from what I had seen when I was watching it on TV. And I, that's because film, you know, not to, like, stand for, you know, I love watching movies everywhere, but films are made to be watched on the big screen. And unless they're designed, you know, like um, Walter Murch has that little thing where he cuts it, where you can see what the head's going to look like. On, you know, he puts it, you can't see my hands because this is a podcast, but he puts the little head on his monitor so he knows what that's going to look like right. on the big screen. And because he's cutting it to be huge, right? And that's how films are made. And so then when we keep watching them on these tiny screens, we're not getting what, we're not getting the whole picture. Um, is, and it's is... more democratic to be on Netflix because more people have Netflix and it's cheaper. And I understand that. And it's a privilege to see it on the big screen. But at the same mm -hmm. time, they're made to be seen on the big screen. They are. And I mean, you know, I, I have um, I, I have I always come away from the Toronto International Film Festival with at least one regret, and if I have two this year, it's that I did not choose to see Lady Bird and Mudbound because they both played at TIFF, um, and they both made my short list, but I just steered myself in other directions and i saw some wonderful films it's not like i had a bad festival missing those two i still saw some incredible films um but at the very least with mudbound it would have given me a chance to see this movie on a big screen it's it's weird because you're right there is this came up at can last year there is this weird anti-netflix bias which i don't think is fair um i i i, I would you know, always, always encourage people to chase down a movie in a theater, like you were saying, because it's the it's it's the form. It's it's absolutely and totally the form. But I wouldn't want to penalize a movie because it couldn't get a theatrical yes. release. You yes. know, and, that, and I, I, think I think that's the that's the catch twenty two. Is I think they're getting penalized for being on Netflix because people are like it should be on the big screen. Um, and I agree, it should be on the big screen because you're not getting everything. Yeah. So then it's like, you're not getting everything, so then you're going to watch it and not get everything. And so maybe, yeah. you know, I don't know. Maybe that's it. But my last, my last uh, and most disappointing of all the shutouts, not really, but kind of, was uh, sound designed for Phantom Thread because... You will never oh. butter your toast. You'll never butter your toast. No, the same way. this is yeah. We uh, you know, again, we we talked about that on the last episode too. We were th we were saying the sound about, design of that movie. You know, sound design nominations is they're always really boring. Yeah, or often really boring. Like, yeah. hey, you had to have a spaceship. Oh my god, you shot guns, and it's like, yeah, okay, nominate a film that used sound to enhance the story. Otherwise, you know, if it sounds just part of the world, that's one thing that like every movie has sound that's part of the world and maybe yeah. you just made a little more world because you had to have gunshots or bombs blowing up or something. But did the bomb blowing up actually affect character change? No. no. Did the buttering of the toast change the entire dynamic of multiple scenes? Yeah. Yes, it did. Yeah. I, I, that I, I, is creative sound design and that is what a word should be for. I have never heard what passive aggression sounds like before that movie. <laughs> 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 I, you know? Yeah, I, 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 I'm totally with you. Um, I, I think the only, you know, not, not to get your dander up, but the only real surprise of an omission that I had on nomination warning was Army Hammer. 
um, for Best Supporting Actor. I mean, Christopher Plummer better knock my socks off because I really feel like that was the that was the trade was we got a plumber and we gave up a hammer. Um, I, I I don't I don't see. I know what is so interesting about him as an actor. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, yeah, it's it's like. I'm going to say a similar actor, but I one that I find endlessly watchable is Garrett Hedlund. Okay. I've seen him in so many movies and I feel like they're very similar looking and yeah. probably, and probably, you know, they're throwing them. Yeah. And I'm yeah. sure their people are always throwing them towards the same movies and then they split, yeah. you know, and I think Garrett Hedlund ends up getting the better films in the smaller, the better roles in the smaller films. Um, and so he keeps not getting, you know, like he, they tried to make him a thing with, um, um, Tron. Right. I, I love Tron. Um, and, and then when it didn't work, he was like, you know what? I don't need to be a thing. I'm going to go do interesting roles. And then, and then he just has done so many interesting roles since then. Um, and I, I, I like that about him and about his, his choices. And okay. I think once he's no longer so beautiful and just is this like, you know, rugged looking character dude in his 50s he'll probably win an oscar of course the thing that's kind of crazy about omissions is that um people kind of get their backup about them really fast and really quick and you know you'll read all over the internet the week of the week of awards coming down of what about this and what about this and what about you know what about this movie what about this actor and so on and so on and so on and so on and like I, I'm, I'm at a weird place with this because I think I think it's just kind of the snowballing effect of social media, but there's there's two things to this that are getting me perplexed. Is one, not everything can get nominated. You know, that, yeah. that, that's the thing is for this thing to get in, I want you to sit there and tell me, okay, what do you take away? You know, do this little exercise like we've been doing saying, I'll strike this one out of the five and switch in this other one, but point to me where it where it falls number one but number two the other thing i don't get is just because you like something doesn't necessarily mean it gets nominated and i think there's this weird perception that just because the stuff you like doesn't get nominated it says something about you yeah and i don't and, understand this and that's the exact opposite where i'm at where you know like for the last however many years my <laughs> my favorite 15 is not even just the year where I only watched films directed by women. Like my favorite 15 is notoriously filled with films. No one has ever seen or like three people saw. And, and I'm completely okay with that because I know that what I know what I like mm -hmm. and I seek it out. And then I talk about it. And very rarely does that align with most other top 10 lists or, you know, anything. And, and I'm okay with that because uh, there's, a, there's a quote in uh, Lynch on Lynch where David Lynch basically says the interesting thing about art, and in this case cinema, is that um, whoever you are when you're making it and you've made it, it's one thing. And whoever anyone is when they come to it, it's going to be something else because every piece of art is something different for every single person who interacts with it. So you and I can see the exact same movie and have a completely different read on it. And they're both valid because you're bringing yourself to that art and I'm bringing myself to that art. And the problem with awards in general is we have to distill all of that unique perception into five slots. Yep. 
And yep. and so that's it's never ever gonna align with with everything and 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 people the people um because we're at 90 years now people see it as 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 a venerable thing same with like the pulitzer and all these other other um awards that's just how that works and that's okay but you need to like understand that it is it has value like when um peter told before he died at the tcm film festival many years ago he was interviewed and He's asked, like, how do you feel about never having won an Oscar? And he's like, you know, I got I got the honorary, but it's not the same thing, and I'm not dead yet. And then, unfortunately, he died, and he never won. And, you know, we're not going to say Peter O'Toole was not great because he never won. And Peter O'Toole certainly is not going to say he wasn't great because he didn't won. But he knows that it meant something, right? Mm-hmm. So it means something, but it also doesn't mean something at the same time. Yeah. And it's hard to, to like marry that idea that it can be both mean a lot and not anything at the same time i mean i i think people like i think fans and artists see it as some sort of strange validation and i mean it, it's it's this crazy thing because it, it at the end of the day it it's it's one little gold star in the corner of of this piece of work um, but it, but it's meaningless because if you like movies that do not make it onto the Academy's radar because they're so small, you know, there, there's stuff like, uh, God's own country or there's stuff like the punk singer, um, that, that just doesn't get the push that an Academy film needs. That doesn't mean that it's not great or that you don't have good taste. Exactly. Conversely- I, you know, like I said, I saw 14 documentaries last year. Yeah. Of those 14, one of them got shortlisted. Right, right. And of that one that got shortlisted isn't getting nominated. No, no. That doesn't mean that those films weren't great. Although, I forgot about this when we were talking about omissions. Uh, Keddie was actually the greatest documentary last year. And You're a cat I, person. You're totally it biased. It wasn't just because it was a good cat film. It was a unique it certainly didn't hurt, of- did it? It didn't, but it was a unique way of telling <laughs> the socioeconomic history of a region. Okay. Like, how many films told the socioeconomic history of a region through cats? Not very many. Just one. <laughs> That's They should put that on the box. It's the best film about the socioeconomics of a region told through cats of all time. There I you mean, go. You know, and the fl- like, listen, the flip side is true, too. <laughs> if you like mainstream movies, you like Hollywood movies, you like comic book movies, like what you like. It doesn't matter. Like, this is nothing to get upset over. If you loved the holy hell out of Wonder Woman and you're that wondering why my- it didn't second favorite movie of the year yeah and I I, I I i enjoyed the heck out of it i knew from the get-go i'm like this is not really an oscar movie it doesn't mean it's not a good movie it does a lot of things really really well just like what you like and don't worry about this kind of thing we are going to move into um our predictions for these categories we both reserve the right to change our mind as the next four weeks play out because uh, nominations are like stock market. They, they trend up, they trend down. If you had been asking about this three weeks ago, we probably would have had different answers. And if you ask us in three more weeks, we may again have different answers. So best adapted screenplay. We've got call me by your name, disaster artist, Logan, Molly's game, Mudbound. What do you got? Mariah Gates. I think this is Mudbound's to win. Really? Okay. I, I would love to see that. I think they go Call Me By Your Name. Uh, original screenplay, Big Sick, Get Out, Lady Bird, Shape of Water, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. 
I think this is where Greta Gerwig gets her Oscar. It's very much like the piano. Yeah. Got a very similar story with the piano. And that is, I mean, obviously the piano also won acting. Yeah. Um, but I think, I don't know that we're going to see that complete recreation, but I definitely think this is where Greta gets her Oscar. Okay. I... I wonder if this is where they throw Martin McDonough a bone for missing direction. Um, but I, my, if I'm placing a, a prediction right now, it's for Jordan Peele with Get Out. Best Supporting Actress, Mary J. Blige, Allison Janney, Leslie Manville, Laurie Metcalf, Octavia Spencer. I think it's probably a, a duke out between Allison Janney and Laurie Metcalf. To Me be too. honest, but Allison Janney is up for the like triple crown at this point. So yeah. And, and it's funny because actually across all four categories, all four of the nominees are kind of up for a triple crown right now. And I, I got to be honest, right this moment, I don't see that changing short of a scandal. Best Supporting Actress, I think, is going to be Allison Janney. I think she'll complete the, the hat trick. Best Supporting Actor, Willem Dafoe, Woody Harrelson, Richard Jenkins, Christopher Plummer, Sam Rockwell. I think this is Sam Rockwell's. Like, he's on a hat trick as well, and um, he's you know, has been exemplar for many years and he finally got a nomination that said the same thing can be said for, um, Mark Ruffalo and he keeps not winning. So Woody Harrelson, he keeps not winning. I don't know. Well, it's, um, it's weird. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm that said early, early on in the, in the whole, um, race, it was Willem Dafoe's to lose. So yeah. Yeah. And he kind of lost a little steam. That's what we say, man. Stock market. His his stock is trending down. It's not the time for your stock to be trending down. And Sam Rockwell is trending up at the right time. And I'm going to go with Rockwell but if as well. He, if he doesn't dance. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. He I'm going to be really upset. I met him once and he did not dance. That, and I didn't feel little... comfortable asking him to dance. Like, you don't just say, hey, it's like, it's like you, actor, you need to dance for me. But yeah, like, like at the same time, when I met... Um, Michael Shannon, he was wearing pink socks, so he did everything I expected. I tell you, man. Best <laughs> actress. Shannon's really tall. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> uh, really tall. See that? Well, yeah. There, there's another actor I would have subbed in instead of instead. Of, really, this this whole show could be called Ryan shits on Christopher Plummer. Um, best He's actress. Such a nice guy, though. I know. I'm. I feel I so him, bad. I met him once, and he looked right in my eyes and said, "I'm sorry." Because he couldn't, he couldn't talk to me because he was late. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and I was like, "It's okay. You're it's, so nice." I, I, I really, sh- I really, Canadian? I really should. I know he's an Order of Canada guy as what well. What are you doing? I, I'm gonna have to turn in my health card. You leave Canada. I know. Um, best actress: <laughs> We have Meryl Streep, Saoirse Ronan, Margot Robbie, Frances McDormand, and Sally Hawkins. Oh wow! So who's been winning? I don't even know. Francis McDormand. <laughs> Francis McDormand's been, McDormand's been she's winning. She's been taking right? everything, yeah, okay. yes. Um, it's it's kind of crazy to think that it's been 20 years forgot. since her last Oscar. Um, yeah, when she won Madonna's Oscar? Yes, no, I'm joking. That, yeah. but I will say that Madonna and her were in the same Golden Globe category that year, and Madonna won. I do remember this. I she do did. Remember this. Yep, yep. Um, okay. So I think we, it's Frances. I think Francis is going to take it. Um, you know, I haven't seen it, so I can't. We'll find out. Like we're really stoking up this YouTube video. It's gonna it's gonna be epic. Uh, we're we're hyping it more than the next Star Wars movie. Uh, yeah. Best best actor: Timothy Chalamet, Daniel Day Lewis, Daniel Kaluuya, Gary Oldman, and Denzel Washington. 
So it's probably going to be Gary Oldman. He's been steaming along. But man, you know, sometimes the Academy is like, hey, we should have given the Oscar to this other guy last year, and we kind of messed up. And so if that happens, it's Denzel's to win. Woo! This is true. I mean, if I, I, I actually think if there's any category that's rife for a surprise, this is the one. And, uh, you know, I, listen, I would love Daniel Kalua to get up there and pull in uh, an Adrian Brody. Uh, I would certainly love Denzel to get up there and, and get his third Oscar because uh, he should have won last year. Um, I'm not going to be surprised when it is Gary Oldman just because the guy is due. Um, I will be I will be disappointed because Darkest Hour is one of his least interesting movies in a long time. Best director, Christopher Nolan, Jordan Peele, Greta Gerwig, Paul Thomas Anderson, or Guillermo del Toro. I think it's Guillermo. I think, I think they love him. Um, I think it's, it's his time. Yeah. As they say, yep. um, I don't think it's, I don't think Dunkirk's the one Nolan's going to win for. Like you said, he's going to win. I don't, I don't see them doing either uh, Jordan Peele or Greta Gerwig. I think they're two new uh, faces for Best Director. And I think Paul Thomas Anderson is just way too weird. This is, again, I want to be wrong. <laughs> Let me look. Yes. I'm, I am saying. I 100% what, want to be wrong and I want Get Out to win everything. Yes, I am saying what I think, okay. not what I want. How I feel. Um, but yeah, we were agreement on Guillermo del Toro. Okay, last but not least, Best Picture, Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, The Shape of Water, or Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. So I, I kind of see a repeat of, um, it's going to sound weird, but a repeat of Spotlight and like no awards except Best Picture for The Post. Because wow. there's that whole preferential ballot thing and I guarantee you that a lot of people on there are going to put that as number one or number two, partly because these other movies are so far out there from like Oscar-y type movies, except maybe Dunkirk. And two, um, it's a, like you said, it's an important quote unquote story for right now. Um, everyone knows Amy Pascal. Everyone knows Spielberg. You don't have to be like, who are these people? Um, and I, this is the movie, like if you have a stack of, once you get to the point where it's voting and you have a stack of, movies to watch you're not going to watch the gay movie you're not going to watch you're just not you're probably not going to watch the horror movie you're not going to watch the teenage girl movie you're not going to watch the fashion movie and i don't know if you're going to watch the movie set in the south so what does that leave that leaves dunkirk the darkest hour in the post as the movies you watch first and then the movies you watch first tend to be the ones that stay with you the longest and then there you go okay that's um, my logic that, there. That's your that's your that's your serious man, great big chalkboard. Okay, um, so <laughs> my thinking is that it is one of two movies. I really think that like there's nine here, but it's really between two. I think it's between The Shape of Water and Three Billboards, and then when I start to do the math, I need to remind myself to do the opposite of what I did last year when I thought it was La La Land versus Moonlight. And that Moonlight just wouldn't have the horses to win. What I thought about was to break up this ballot into the actual contenders and then the add-on. So if we were to take the five films that were nominated for Best Director uh, plus three billboards and see them as like Class A. And then look at The Post, um, Darkest Hour, and Call Me By Your Name as Class B. Where do those class B votes go once they get thrown out? Like where do the who is gonna be second place on those 
movie on those ballots. And with all of the three of those movies being prestige type movies, I think they, I don't think they go to the gritty, weird, dark comedy of three billboards. I think they go into the slightly more prestige, very, very handsome, um, very classical. Um, Cause there is a lot of classical in shape of water and that that's where it picks up enough votes to win. I just don't see the Academy voting for a fish man for best picture. I mean, I, I wouldn't either, but then I know there's, I mean, other than the Lord of the Rings, yeah, there hasn't been fantasy. No. Fantasy has not done well. And no. the Lord of the Rings had, um, Tolkien, yeah. a well beloved author behind it. Yeah. This literally has, it's an original story. Yeah. So it doesn't have, I, I just, I, the makeup of the Academy is still so, um, slightly older that I don't, I don't see a, a fish man movie winning. I think that's no. what they're going to see it as. I'm, I'm, I hate and love reading that brutally honest Oscar ballot <laughs> every year because yeah. it's, I want to punch the, whoever that voter is. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, I know this is how people are thinking. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know? I, I agree. Um, you know, the, the and crazy, I want to see if he calls this movie the Fishman movie. Of course, the I really want thing, that. The, the crazy thing about the Fishman movie, though, is that it has a lot of, it has a lot of like classic monster Hollywood in it. It has a lot of classic musical in it. Um, it has Red Scare stuff in it. It's it like it's it's, it's really really has a lot of Hollywood baked in. So uh, in a weird way, it it will get some nostalgic votes and i just mm. i think that i think that's how it gets there don't get me wrong again it would not get my vote i would i would throw my first second and third vote at get out um and it's not what i want to win i'm just this is my great big blackboard of how i get there because last year i didn't think about the bottom tier and how that would affect a movie like moonlight so now i'm trying to learn from my mistakes yeah um, there we go that is our discussion of the 90th annual Academy Awards. They are on ABC on March 4th. March 4th. There we go. Watch the, uh, give them a watch and, uh, you know, something crazy will probably happen. Lord knows something crazy happened last year. That is episode 192 of the matinee cast. I want to truly from the bottom of my heart, thank Mariah for coming back on every year. Come on back on Monday, February 12th for episode 193. We'll be talking about some movie. I haven't quite decided yet. If you have a request, toss it my way because there's not much coming out at the beginning of February. Um, Mariah. Have you done a show on Paddington two yet? No, but I keep here. I keep hearing I'm supposed I, to see it. You, have you seen Paddington One? No. What is wrong with you? Do you uh, not like Joy? Uh, <laughs> I am accused of many things, my good woman. <laughs> not loving Joy is not one of them. It is uh, the most joyous movie. You will I, love it. I will make it a priority. That's another one where the trailer sold it as one thing, and it is not Probably anything not. like I've, the trailer. I've, I've it heard, is I've heard. just a beautiful. Yeah. wonderful lovely film yeah. i cannot wait um mariah's work can be found at cinema-fanatic.com um on um youtube you can find her as coffee and movies uh do you have anything coming up next week that people can look forward to uh my end of the month wrap-up is coming out soon um it's gonna be a whole lot of weird silent films because that's all i watch nowadays nice and uh you Enjoy know I, I, 
of course, there's going to be a YouTube video at some point about three billboards of from. Uh, yeah, that'll it'll happen. I'll see it. She sounds so. Refined. I mean, I still haven't. I still haven't seen like so 56 that I haven't seen. Uh, I think 12 or 13 of those are from the last three years. And if people want to find you on Twitter, where can they follow you? Um, it's at Old Films Flicker, and that's pretty much me anywhere and everywhere. Very nice. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, You're Welcome, Paulo, Blueberry, Apple's podcast app, and the iTunes Store. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on any of the Oscar nominees on why one of us or both of us are wrong or where you agree with us can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email ryan at thematinee.ca, Twitter, where I am matinee underscore ca, or Facebook dot com slash dark matinee for mariah i'm ryan we'll see you at the matinee and on oscar night